0: The Marijuana Stamp Act was approved on August 2nd and went into effect on October 1st, 1937. Moses Baca was arrested October 3rd. Samuel Caldwell was taken in two days later. Both pled guilty. Both were sentenced by federal judge J. Foster Symes on October 8th. Baca got 18 months for possessing a quarter ounce. Caldwell was caught selling three joints to a man named Claude Morgan and was also caught in possession of four pounds of cannabis, which he'd smuggled in from Kansas. He received a heavier sentence of four years. On October 17, 1937, both were received at the United States Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas, only two weeks later. Samuel Caldwell served nearly all of his sentence. He was released in early 1941 and died on June twenty fourth of that year at age of 61. The cause of death was liver cancer. He was buried in Erie, Colorado, not far from Denver. Right, welcome to the Dirt Show. I'm Higher Peaks,
1: and this is Lady Sativa.
0: And real quick, I just want to thank everybody for the last episode, especially. I hope everybody enjoyed it. The feature 4200. We had a lot of good responses from it, and a lot of good down, or a lot of downloads on it. Yeah, so we did. It looked like everybody enjoyed it, and we hope you did. And we just want to make sure that everybody knows that you know you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. You know, iHeart, Google, Stitcher, the big one now, is... Pandora. L- pandora yeah, we just, yeah yeah we just got approved for that
1: nailed it don't forget spotify too
0: spotify is huge we've been there but yes, spotify there. yeah spotify is huge there in fact you know we're getting stats now through there which is yep. great
1: youtube as well
0: youtube i work um, on
1: that all the time
0: yeah we and we're developing that in 2020 so between our website and youtube that's kind of our focus this year and on youtube you know we put everything out Unfortunately, we haven't put it out in a timely manner. Um, we're fairly caught up. You've done really well. You, you're the one handling that, and you do really well. We're going to add to it, though. We're going to add video, as in actually us mm-hmm. and the interview, the the people that we interview.
1: When he lets me do my makeup,
0: he caught me off guard again.
1: <laughs> Probably won't see the video for this second one. week in a row.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll I'm use learning it. my lesson. We'll use it for test footage. <laughs> I do need practice because I want to make sure everything's tight, but. Nonetheless, we're going to work towards that on YouTube. (laughs) Ultimately, though, uh, if people, you know, if you're on Pandora listening to music, they do have podcasts. It took us about a year and multiple applications to get on there Wasn't it up to four it was four times <laughs> yeah. and we had to be persistent and we had to show numbers and it, it worked so thank you to our listeners
1: hell yeah you helped boost our numbers it, it
0: was only because of you that we got on there and so hopefully if you got pandora that's another outlet for you to to get us on mm-hmm. you've also got our website oregonrooted541.com and uh, you can
1: find us on instagram on facebook you can find us on twitter
0: Yep. and um, we update there and then we are going to open up Patreon. And that's a big one for us, too. Thing about Patreon and the reason we haven't opened it is I'm putting up content there. That content has to be unique and special.
1: And, and we I, wanted to collect it first. Yeah,
0: I wanted we... to get something built, just a little bit built, so that, you know, when you jump in, it's not like, oh, you got one thing, bro. Woohoo. So,
1: welcome. <laughs> but
0: no worries. We're going to have that stuff out there for our, our supporters and
1: supporters that wanted to spend their hard earned money on. That actually, Listening, yes, yes, yes.
0: That, all one of you, <laughs> that'll be me. <laughs> if you see money, it
1: might not be a true listener. It might be ourselves just trying to boost our, get our own funds. Exactly. Make, it look, like <laughs> make it look like we're doing something. <laughs>
0: and I'm sure that's going to be patreon.com slash organrooted Rooted, of course. Mm-hmm. So just look out for that.
1: Make it simple.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so with that said, and what you heard on the intro, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. It went into effect on October 1st, 1937. That was really Harry Anslinger that did that. Mm -hmm. I say his name, not that we're going to really talk too much about him, but he was really key, obviously, in not necessarily the war on drugs, but the the kickoff to putting people in prison for drugs, being very, very stringent on the laws, essentially building the prison industry, industrial complex that we know today. Mm Mm-hmm with that he's the one that really kicked off this whole 37 tax act more into why it was a tax act this really is the story of two criminals the two criminals that were first convicted of crimes related to illegal cannabis Mm -hmm. and
1: marijuana as they called it back then
0: a lot of terms were different marijuana was it was marijuana definitely back then spelt with an h like my
1: grandmother says it when she asked if i smoked the marijuana
0: So the two gentlemen, it was Sam Caldwell, which is notorious, a a well-known name, and Moses Baca. Now, a lot of people think that Sam Caldwell was the original first one. Sam Caldwell has been dubbed as the first pot POW and one of the earliest targets of 1937 Tax Act, Prisoner of War of Pot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Either way. But actually, Moses Baca was the, and per, forgive me if I pronounce it wrong, Baca, 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 Baca I'm not sure. Anyway, Baca, he was.
1: It's Baca. I bet you anything that's Bacara. why they call that strain the Bacara now is because of Baca. Nailed it.
0: It, it maybe could be. Um, anyway, he was actually the first, and we'll go into that. Caldwell would be picked up by police at, the, at a Denver flop house and sent to a federal prison in Leavenworth, Kansas. There, he served four years for an act that had become a federal crime just a few days before his arrest on October 5th, 1937. That was selling selling marijuana. marijuana. (laughs) Now, like I had said, um, this all happened right, bing, bing, bing. So October 1st, 1937, the Tax Act happens. October 3rd, uh, Moses Baca gets nailed. October 5th, Caldwell goes down. And then within two weeks, they're in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, boom, boom, boom. That that does not happen these days. They were very strict, and they were making a point. I mean, this shows it right here.
1: And Caldwell was a laborer that was an eighth grade, with an eighth grade education.
0: Yeah, he was not necessarily a smart guy. Uh, he was, in the words of one of his prison evaluations, a career criminal. Mm-hmm. Okay, he had been in trouble for bootlegging. He had been in trouble for making whiskey. He had been in trouble for numerous... Mm,
1: some yummy whiskey. Well, new. <laughs>
0: Well, this is, of course, during the time of prohibition for alcohol. Oh, so
1: that was before he we went to jail. Oh, good. So it's not prison whiskey or prison alcohol. <laughs> Even though he <we laughs> probably did that? make that. Yeah. Pooch. Pooch. Yeah. <laughs> or pooch. He also... as they do it in the toilet. pooch <laughs>
0: Yeah, but he was really getting in trouble for bootlegging and and making whiskey. Mm -hmm. According to one of his friends, the 57-year-old Caldwell had only begun selling marijuana a few months before the new federal law kicked in. So it wasn't like this guy was just slang and dope for all these years. Previous to this, it was legal and Mm -hmm. there was no... And
1: he was making alcohol, so he was doing another illegal thing. Well, the thing that was big is the alcohol. Yeah, because that was bootlegging, which is... So he was doing just as bad of things, but he's just like, oh, I'm going to move on from alcohol to the thing that won't hurt you as much. Well,
0: <laughs> well, the thing was, is I think that alcohol was just, it was the scene because it was available and then it got li- illegal. Mm-hmm. and So criminals were doing it, which again, we will go back to, because this goes back to the taxing and the act here. Yeah. He never smoked weed. Four years earlier in January 1933, federal agents arrested Caldwell for selling a gallon of contraband whiskey for five bucks. Now, back then... That's a I, good deal. That, well, that I was know. probably worth 50
1: bucks or more back then. <laughs> Sounds like a good price to me. That
0: was less than a year before the 21st Amendment overturned prohibitions. So, I mean, this guy's timing is, is remarkable. <laughs> Caldwell's first stint in Leavenworth was for peddling white lightning, not green crack, basically. I and mean, white
1: lightning is, is alcohol.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's why I threw the green crack in there because he yeah. really did moonshine. White lightning is moonshine. Okay. So he was making moonshine, which, I mean, even now is mostly, for the most part, is illegal. I believe everywhere now in the nation. I could be wrong. That I Don't know of, quote me on that. That I
1: know of, it always has been. I think to make it, but you can buy moonshine. It ain't going to be the moonshine that you make. Well, as
0: close as you can get, sure. Yeah. Now, so that's Caldwell. You know, this guy, like I said, eighth grade education, not very smart, getting busted for alcohol related shit. He's obviously a little criminal gangster Mm -hmm. dabbling in the crime anyway. But like we said, dude has shitty timing. Now, Moses Baca.
1: Moses got arrested two days before Caldwell on a different Denver neighborhood.
0: Right. Well, they're in the same area. So they're getting mixed up. Yeah. Yeah there's some There's some debate there there has been, I would say, more added to the legend is that these two guys were in cahoots, and one was a buyer and seller. So
1: so he was uh, arrested in a different ne- uh, Denver neighborhood and hasn't ever had much attention in terms of being the first pioneer. Exactly. So they didn't give the attention to Not Baca whatsoever. No. It was well, all to Caldwell two it, days after he was arrested.
0: Exactly. And Caldwell, well, Caldwell was the seller, so to speak. Yeah. Because Moses got caught, remember, with the quarter ounce. He was the buyer, supposedly, and Caldwell was the seller. Well, here's the deal. The fact that the new federal law had been aimed at peddlers rather than users, Baca's crime was a quarter ounce of the devil's lettuce. Police found it in a bureau drawer in his third floor rooming house uh, on California Street in the Denver's Five Points neighborhood as they're arresting him, I guess, on a (laughs) drunken disturbance charge. Go figure. Convenient. Like I said though. um, And he
1: was also already known at this point for drinking related issues.
0: Exactly. So and that's the thing. This he had already been these drunken disturbance charges. He'd already had listed a a bunch of them. And he'd also been known to be you know violent towards his wife and and causing issues uh getting you know i think he stole a car at one point but again here's the deal and we know this it was all probably related to alcohol mm-hmm. he was probably he was a drunk obviously drinking alcohol all the time getting drunk and these are the signs you know he's beating his wife he's getting right. in fights he's caught he's stealing shit. It's what happens
1: as a man of mexican heritage he was born in southern colorado BACA fit the profile of the kind person legislators that were targeting with Congress. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. The irony of the story here, though, is noted by the modern cannabis reform movement is that these both guys were charged for weed crimes in the same state that would be the first in the union to legalize it. That's funny. Go oddly, figure. It's in Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> so 76 years later, right? So today, any adult in Colorado, you know, you can hit your damn dab rig. Anywhere you want to. Gob a rosin. Yep. And not really have fear. And now we're to the point of decriminal or de- I don't even know what the word is now, but making mushrooms in Denver low level.
1: Yes. And what's really hilarious about all of that is, is that they were the pioneers. And yet I have heard from people from Colorado that their weed isn't that great. Oh, <laughs> that they talk about organ stuff in
0: Colorado. <laughs> Well, now, and we've heard that from Washington, too.
1: We've heard that from Washington. I've heard that from California, Northern California, mostly. I know that you can find some good stuff down in Southern. I've heard that.
0: Sure, but even Tim Snail from Wicked said that I have Southern heard, Oregon. I have and he's heard, Southern Cal.
1: Or I have heard Southern. Yes. Yeah. Hey. Proud of it.
0: <laughs> I get it, I but I'm going to let them say it, not me, because I live here. I'm already right. biased. As I
1: it like is. to hear it.
0: Yeah. But... Now, keep in mind that these two guys, uh, they had been labeled, like I said earlier, about being a buyer and seller. So they were seen because of the same town, too. They seemed to be connected.
1: So how did they get caught exactly two
0: days apart? Well, so let's get into that. So actually, <laughs> Caldwell had sold weed to a guy named Claude Morgan. And as much research has been done that that I could even find, there's nothing on this Claude Morgan. But it sure was not. Moses. Well what the hell
1: happened to him?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The facts seem mixed. Uh, The historians relying on a couple inaccurate newspaper stories. Those reports had Codwell selling three joints to Baca They botched the dates and the sequence of the arrests. They even got Caldwell's age wrong. Uh, They put 57, not 58.
1: And Baca's age wrong, 23, not 26.
0: Right. They frequently gave Caldwell first billing in the historic arrest sweepstakes, and they reprinted unquestioned assertions from law enforcement about the devil weed, as they put (laughs) it back then.
1: As the marijuana propaganda campaigns raged over the decades, Caldwell and Baca's unfortunate circumstances were teed up as a cannon fodder. Quotes were fabricated, conspiracy theories launched. Of course, there's always conspiracy theories behind stuff. When medical marijuana was approved by voters in Colorado in November 2000, Denver Post and Rocky Mountain news reporters searched the paper's morgues to unearth tales of 1937-style justice.
0: This is where the fallacies were repeated and they were so bad that they were like worse than Urban myths, right? They, yeah. They just became fact in, in this story. Yeah. As does happen with things, right? I mean, legends become facts in certain cases. Yeah. We see that with certain books.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, but they, you know, what their research, what they had was based on these articles and stuff like that we talk about this actual stamp tax act that was this supposed solution solution to a problem the 30, 1937 marijuana stamp tax act was a solution in search of a problem right uh anslinger not only was the government's like he was his their bulldog mm-hmm. but he really had good timing in the sense and the, and the knowledge to manipulate really well um, the repeal of alcohol prohibition in '33 led to an urgent search for new moral ground, right? Because mm-hmm. alcohol, the prohibition didn't work; it's legal now. They got to hit some these other groups. It was really a minority thing. They have to hit these other groups hard. In a New York Times, in the New York Times on September 16th, 1934, a headline warned: "Use of marijuana spreading in West. Children said to buy it." saying, although as appalling as its effects on the human mind and body as narcotics, the use of marijuana appears to be proceeding unchecked in Colorado and other Western states with a large Spanish-American population. The drug is particularly popular with Latin Americans and its use is spreading to all classes. That's quoted. So you can see back then, uh, this is New York Times, how they looked at it. It Mm -hmm. was a minority tool. Uh, And people fell for it. Uh, Most historians agree that racism factored heavily, obviously, into the drug laws. A Yale historian, David Musto, put it this way. Quote, the anti-marijuana law of 37 was largely the federal government's response to political pressure from enforcement agencies and other alarmed groups who feared the use and spread of marijuana by Mexicans. Mm -hmm. In the early 1970s, President Richard Nixon used drug laws, to target his political enemies. So that's where Anslinger got a good partner. Nixon. Fucking uh, Nixon. These guys really made a great team.
1: War on drugs.
0: Now, this leads us to this: the famous quote that really solidifies everything that's been, you know, done with the 37 Tax Act. We all know that the interview with Nixon advisor John Ehrlichman. Um, An author, Dan Baum, quoted the Watergate co conspirator and convicted felon. This is the famous quote we all know. It says, You want to know what the war on drugs was really all about? Ehrlichman asked. The Nixon campaign in 68 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. I think I've heard that quote a few times in the past. Have you ever heard it?
1: Uh, a long time ago, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just full admission that basically it was all a tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anslinger's anti-drug cronies also needed a big lie. Since they were having a hard time getting Congress to outlaw weed that Anslinger himself acknowledged grew wild with great abandon, as he put it. The legislation focused on the sale of weed craftily using the same Catch-22 logic of a Prohibition-era gun control law. This is kind of why they have the ATF. Basically, why they have the ATF. Now, I was just talking to someone about this at the studio the other day. ATF, think about this. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Why the hell would you have a government law enforcement government agency that concerns itself with alcohol tobacco and firearms how is that all related
1: Mm -hmm.
0: well it's all about taxes so alcohol coming out of prohibition what they do they tax it was a big huge tax thing tobacco same thing tax firearms back in the 30s it was the same issue they wanted to outlaw guns back then Mm -hmm. and instead of outlawing guns uh, they didn't have the nra to protect any of They didn't have a big lobbyist like the NRA to protect them. They uh, wanted to pass a tax law on guns. So instead of making them illegal, they were going to tax them heavily. In fact, it was going to cost double to buy a firearm compared to before the tax. Mm -hmm. So they're going to double, like like what Illinois and California does to weed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the thing is, is these three... Things were heavily taxed, and they were all either at one point illegal or they all caused, they were all a part of gangsters and mobsters and stuff like that, organized crime. So they were all at one point used for large illegal activities. Mm-hmm. So they developed this ATF. Well, that's how they incorporated marijuana to be illegal. They made it a tax, tax law. And when Anslinger got this passed, it was a law. That you really couldn't... Let me give an example. So, to put it back in context, the violence-ridden air of Al Capone had given birth to a federal law to curb the unlawful sale of Tommy guns. Long before the NRA would have made this impossible, like I had said. The National Firearms Act of 34 declared that anybody who sold a machine gun had to have a stamp. Printed by the federal government, sanctioning that sale. Then the government failed to print the stamp. See how that works? Mm-hmm. So you have to buy the stamp, but... You can't because government won't do it for you. So Anslinger's cannabis stamp tax came with the same catch. You'd be arrested if you tried to buy a stamp. The same diabolical construction was put to use in the new marijuana law. People could illegally sell cannabis as long as they purchased a marijuana tax stamp. There were only two catches. First, you had to show up with your cannabis in order to purchase the stamp, which would then, of course, trigger an arrest on illegal possession. Second, nobody really knew if the stamps existed or where you could buy them, right? This unconstitutional logic finally caught up with the feds in nineteen sixty-nine when drug well, sorry, when drug guru Timothy Leary, we all know him, he basically successfully challenged the law in a landmark case that unanimously overturned it. The vacuum created by Leary's case led to the creation, literally, of the Controlled Substance Act of nineteen seventy, which was the war on drugs mm-hmm. and what Reagan and Clinton and everybody backed all through the 70s and 80s. The 1937 Marijuana Stamp Act Act passed Congress in early August, but didn't take effect until October. The question became how and where the feds would enforce it. One clue comes from an article that was found in the Dead for Post. It was dated August 8, 1937, with the headline, U.S. Narcotics Bureau Plans Marijuana War drive in western states planned funny enough the narcotics bureau is now the dea as the biggest western city for almost 700 miles in any direction of course denver was the ideal choice that's where moses Baca and this strange mr x come into play
1: it's unclear why moses Baca was the first one targeted but it makes sense that he might have been one of the usual suspects rounded up by denver police Baca was no stranger to the cops.
0: Just going back to the fact that he'd always been in trouble for some alcohol bullshit.
1: Thanks to freedom of information, we have access to Baca's FBI files, which act as a bracing illustration of the prevailing 1937 attitudes towards wetbacks. The derogatory term coined in 1929 referred to Mexicans who swam or waded across. Is it the Rio Grande or the Rio Grande?
0: It's the Rio Grande. Whatever. Well, Rio I, I guess maybe it is if you're Spanish. Is it Rio Grande? I don't know. That's a
1: good question. <laughs> it comes to the United States. Baca is listed as five, seven and a half and 130 pounds when he first, when he is first arrested at age 16.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's That's a understandable. Guy. That's yeah, understandable. Yeah, sure. That's pretty at decent 16. for his age. Mm-hmm.
1: With a swarthy complexion, dark maroon eyes and black and curly hair. At 17, he was arrested for being part of a trio that stole three suits from a tailor shop while drunk. Of course, he was drunk. Yeah, that's it. When Baca was sentenced for a burglary conviction in 1934 at the age of 20, the police report states that he had been working as a bellhop. In subsequent years, he was arrested for vagrancy, which was dismissed, burglary and larceny. The rap sheet goes on. Wanted for assault and and robbery, then no longer wanted.
0: Yeah, then more vagrancy. Then more vagrancy. And, of course, multiple arrests for and multiple drunk and disorderly. For... All right back to alcohol.
1: His race was often listed as Mexican.
0: Interesting enough. Um, but we'll get more to that, actually. According to Denver police records, Baca was arrested at 3.15 a.m. on Sunday, October 3rd, 1937. Police wrote, this man came home drunk and beat his wife. Alcohol. During that early Sunday morning premises search, the cops turned up the quarter ounce of cannabis. Anslinger would later concoct a story that Baca had been involved in gunplay, which doesn't show up in any of the police reports. Nor does any record confirm a story floated by the Denver Post that Baca blamed his violence on marijuana. Quote, under its influence, Baca said, he became a wild beast and two weeks ago tried to murder his wife, the mother of his three children. Now, in a Pike's Peak Hemp Coalition newsletter, a 1996 piece about a man in his mid-seventies who had been busted for pot in Denver in the late 1930s. This man, identified as Mr. X, confirms that police were clearly targeting people like Baca. The police warned Mr. X, "Don't hang out with Mexicans." Tracking down Gregory Dower, author of the Hemp Coalition piece, revealed Mr. X's identity: an Alexander Rahutis. He died in 2002. Dar offered notes from this particular interview. In the notes, Rahudis said that he knew both Baca and Caldwell. Rahutas had business dealings with Caldwell, who was an unemployed laborer from Indiana with a record for writing bad checks and bootlegging. At the time of his arrest, Caldwell was saying at Denver's Lothrop Hotel, a transient flophouse, according to Rahudis, Caldwell never smoked marijuana himself and hadn't sold Baca a, quote, goddamn thing. As for Baca, Rahudis recalled he was known to use cocaine and drink Sterno. Fuck. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody drinking Sterno? Mm-mm. Oh my God. It's an alcohol. Everybody knows what Sterno is the alcohol based uh, fuel to use to heat food. I guess it's known as canned heat. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sterno was sometimes consumed as a low budget high, I guess, with side effects that included violent behavior, hallucinations, and sometimes death. Of course, man. It's fucking fuel.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Damn. So I would imagine it has a lot more to do with Sterno than cannabis or I guess even alcohol. I mean, it seems Mm -hmm. like that's like the dirty form of alcohol. Right. I imagine it would account for all that fucked up behavior.
1: Sterno was legal. Cannabis was not.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Good point. Anslinger was so passionate about the implementation of the 37 marijuana law that he traveled to Denver from Washington, D.C., a two-day trip. Uh, he wanted to watch both Caldwell and Baca go down. I think he understood the propaganda value of those first arrests. Obviously, um, I don't think he was. I think he was low key though. When he went in there, he went in there and and just acted like a stranger and let the judge carry out the sentencing. Um, said after sentencing, Anslinger went out of his way to praise the prosecutors. "Quote: These men have shown the way to other district attorneys throughout the nation." He told the Denver Post, marijuana has become our greatest problem.
1: Its sale and use has found its way into at least 25 states. I consider marijuana the worst of all narcotics, far worse than the use of morphine or coca (laughs) Some of
0: the things, I like I was reading these quotes, and there's a few of them here, but this one, all of them are
1: fucking just crazy. I have no sympathy with those who sell this weed, said the judge. Under its influence, men become beasts. Marijuana destroys life itself. I have no sympathy with those who sell this weed. The government is going to enforce this new law to the letter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's for Ansinger. He's stuck stuck to his- It's worse than coca. I know. Morphine and coca. Go figure that. I don't even think they even knew what a opioid epidemic was at this point. They quite
1: literally use morphine to comfort people as they die. Yeah. yeah. And it poisons you in a way. Like if you, you like it does shut you down and you have to, it is, it is habit forming drug itself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So is Coca. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he just, I don't know. Um, Let me there was an article. Let me read this real quick. There is actually a article that um, was published in the Minneapolis Journal. It was Sunday, October 17th, 1937 out of Minneapolis, Minnesota in the Minneapolis Journal. And it was a really good example of the viewpoint of the times, what they were doing with this new law, how they were doing it. And Also, the strong viewpoint, Um, and I'll only just read a couple little segments. It says, it's titled, Finish War Ordered on Marijuana. U.S. Narcotics Chief Warns of Perils to School Children. Now, pardon me for breaking this up, but it's it's really hard to read this article print. It's an old, old article. Declaring marijuana has turned children into, quote, murderous criminals, H.J. Anslinger said. Anslinger, a federal commissioner of narcotics, pledged in Washington late last night that his bureau would war to finish to suppress the traffic in marijuana, along with other illicit drugs. The commissioner leveled all the guns of his department in a nationwide assault against narcotic peddlers, including those whom authorities hold responsible for spreading use of marijuana among thousands of school aged children. The 20-year veteran of government service, head of the Narcotics Bureau since 1930, asserted one of marijuana's principal dangers is that the smokers lose all sense of balance or conception while they are under the influence of this devastating plant. Dreadful crimes have been committed and young children turned into dangerous, even murderous criminals, he said. Maniacal and homicidal fury is common effect, although certain races and types react differently. Maniacal. One of the major obstacles in the fight to destroy marijuana as a narcotic, authorities confided, is the fact that parents are unable to believe the weed is so commonly used. It was in Denver, authorities said, where investigation early last week disclosed a ring of marijuana peddlers who recruited users of the mind-weakening and violence-breeding narcotic from the high schools and junior high schools of the city. Two men and two women were arrested in the roundup, one of them confessing that he employed three to five persons to circle high and junior high schools. These peddlers the prisoners confessed first gave away marijuana cigarettes as samples then they told the boys and girls where they could buy more when this is the best part when police raided the place four officers fought for nearly 10 minutes to subdue one slight 33-year-old man who was possessed with a say it who was possessed with a
1: maniacal
0: rage police said because he was under the influence of this killer drug Ooh, he, was, dun, dun,
1: dun. he was
0: kicking ass because he's on some weed when police were there four boys from 17 to 19 years old came to the house and tried to buy marijuana they disclosed that many high school acquaintances were users of the weed and singer key man in this drive facts were turned over to federal attorneys for presentation to the federal grand jury meanwhile from Washington Uncle Sam's forces are being directed to the greatest anti-marijuana drive the nation has ever known Anslinger is the key man. He and his men are inspired by this belief voiced by Anslinger. Quote, there is more human misery caused by dope than anything else in the world.
1: Beg to differ. So
0: that that was the feeling and that that's what it was back then.
1: As for Anslinger, he stuck to his job until 1962. When he retired at age 70, he died in 1975, the year you were born, almost exactly halfway between the passage of the first federal pot law and Colorado's vote to legalize its recreational use. So right in the middle. Yeah. Meet right there in the middle. Yeah. Despite the trend towards legalization, marijuana arrests continue to pad crime statistics. In 2014, more than 620,000 Americans were arrested for simple pot possession, which works out to be more than one per minute. I know, right? Between 1995 and 2014, more than half a million people were arrested each year for marijuana. Mostly for possession, a number that's understated since not all states reported all their stats to the FBI. The casualty count that began with Baca and Caldwell continues with collateral damage inflicted on people who remain haunted by felony convictions every time they look for work.
0: Well, and you even have a little kind of thing with that. Fortunately enough, you can work in cannabis and it doesn't hurt you at this moment, but it was affecting my last job though. It did affect your last job. It actually affected to the point of you didn't have much of an option.
1: I either had to quit. By the way, I was in medical before I was, yeah, I was just a caregiver, but I was still, I passed out medications. I did all that and I was doing it for 10 years. So it's not like, it's not like I got my charge before I started doing this and i just decided to no it was during the middle of me doing this and it was for cannabis less than an ounce
0: yeah yeah and that's the thing is it's sad to see or to think that again one day you're condemned for a whole quarter ounce Mm -hmm. that's going to stick on your record forever not forever but for a very long time yeah
1: i'm heading towards seven years and it's still on there um yeah because i can't even go on field trips with my kids i cannot i cannot be a chaperone
0: and see that's the thing and which is sad because we're legal what you're doing is legal but it still affects you so even if you are in a legal state most likely it will still affect you Mm -hmm. so you're you know a survivor of the war if you will um but don't think that legalization keeps you from having a record for cannabis that will affect you again even if you got away from cannabis now. Medical industries, security industries, law enforcement industries may have a problem
1: with the fact with that's that on conviction. My yeah, and what's sad is that yes, uh, viol- and that was just for carrying it too. That wasn't for like selling it. That was for having it on a person in a backpack.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. It wasn't. It wasn't even for a complicated charge yeah. or anything, or a selling charge. Just keep in mind that the collateral damage is still happening. People are still getting in trouble across the states and across the world. I mean, we even see it with uh, Ohio. Wasn't it Ohio? They said that they're going to be camping out next to. Oh
1: no! Illinois. It was. Uh, it was Iowa.
0: Iowa was camping out. I even saw because <laughs> we didn't read articles, but I saw it mentioned that they re-mentioned in another article that they had said they're keeping a close eye. Yeah, they're going to watch them at the border. Warnings. Yeah. And that, uh, that, again, is people getting victim, victims of this these laws. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the point, is that we're still being victims. We're still being victimized. And even if you're in a legal state, people still are victims. People are still have records. And even though there's talk and some you know, expungements, I don't really see it much. And And there still
1: is people in jail for drug charges for, for cannabis charges. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And like I, I had said before, you're going to have trouble. If you to left this industry, you'd have trouble in certain other industries for the forever.
1: So it's always
0: going to haunt you, whether it's legal or not.
1: I honestly doubt that if I wouldn't have been such good friends with the boss of my last job and they knew that it was not contradicting with my job that I probably would not have still had it for as long as I had. Yeah. Like I was to the point that I had to pay to get it expunged off my record somehow, or I was going to have to quit my job because the fact that um, the state was not going to approve me to work there anymore.
0: So um, for the people that have convictions and stuff on this natural plant, you know, um, you guys are the the war victims, but we keep the fight up and we're just going to keep moving forward. I'm going to end with this, uh, John Kerry, you know, he kind of said it best. He had told a congressional committee in 1971, he was talking about the pointlessness of the Vietnam war. He said, the last soldier to die has come to represent the futility of war itself. "Quote: How do you ask a man? He said to be the last man to die for a mistake.